Welcome back to Inside Personal Growth. This is Greg Boyce and inviting you to listen to our latest podcast, number 980, with author Dan Butner, about his new book entitled The Blue Zones American Kitchen, 100 Recipes to Live to 100. This podcast, number 980, is brought to you by Dave Phillips, author of a new book entitled The Three Big Questions That Everyone Asks Sooner or Later. If you want to know more about Dave Phillips, his events, services, and books, please visit his website at www.dphillips.com. That's www.dphillips.com. And now for a featured podcast, please listen to my engaging interview with author Dan Buettner about his new book entitled The Blue Zones American Kitchen, 100 Recipes to Live to 100. Happy listening. Welcome back to Inside Personal Growth. This is Greg Voice and the host of Inside Personal Growth. And joining me from Miami, Florida is Dan Butner. And Dan has a new book coming out, which I'm going to hold up here, called The Blue Zones American Kitchen. And this book is going to be released on Amazon on December 6th, but you can go ahead and pre-order the book if you'd like. And many of you already know Dan from his predecessor books, The Blue Zones. But um, Dan, I'm going to let my listeners know a little bit about you who are out there. Um, he's an explorer, National Geographic fellow, award-winning journalist, and producer of the New York Times bestselling author. He's discovered the five places in the world, and probably more now, huh, Dan? Dubbed Blue Zone Hotspots, where people live the longest and healthiest lives. His articles have been in the New York Times Magazine, National Geographic, um, he works in partnership with uh, mutual governments, large employers, health insurance companies to implement Z- Blue Zone projects in communities, workplaces, and universities. Blue Zones projects as well as being an initiative to apply lessons to Blue Zones to entire communi- communities by focusing on changes to the local environment, public policy, and social networks. The program has dramatically improved the health of over 5 million Americans to date. Um, well, I don't think we need much more, Dan. We can get into this. I think that, you know, there's so many issues you and I could talk about, but this is really about your book that's coming out, and I'm sure we'll weave some of it in there. But obviously, you're known for your documentaries and the Blue Zone lessons and the books you've written and where people live the longest. You've also published a predecessor cookbook to this one. Um what have you uncovered about the little-known American diets uh, that mimic the diets of the longest-lived people? And what propelled you really kind of to write the Blue Zones American Kitchen, you know? Because when, when I got into this book, I was looking at all these healthy recipes, and I'll say this, some of the stuff I don't know if people in inner cities or even cities have access to, right? So, you know, there's a lot of ingredients so I'm saying in these beautiful diets that you put out here, but it is a gorgeous uh, array. You've got so many, you've got a hundred different recipes that are just wonderful. Yes. There, you know, there's, well, the vast majority of the, of the recipes, I was very conscious to make sure that every American could make them and they're quick to, quick to, quick to put together. And most of them can be made in one pot and can be assembled in less than 20 minutes. I did, however, put some aspirational recipes in there that had some more exotic ingredients that reflected really, I think, the, uh, the chefs who wanted to spread their wings, so to speak. Mm-hmm. Uh, but the idea here, the, the Blue Zone Kitchen was an, a number one New York Times bestseller. It's one of the top 100 uh, cookbooks of all time. And, you know, I didn't set out to be a cookbook writer. I, I'm a science writer. But the book did so fantastically well i thought well why not look for cultures of longevity in america and looking at just the epidemiology it's hard to find anyone so then i tried to back into it uh so we knew what the longest of people have eaten over the past hundred years we knew the the guidelines or the the componentry let's say of the diet of longevity and then i hired an nyu researcher named James Matlin, who uh, whose specialty is food. And he went in and found about 120 uh, dietary surveys or, or, or diaries, they called it, dietaries rather, they called it, that uh, actually found within 
uh, four American ethnicities, the way they were cooking a hundred years ago, match up perfectly with the with the the blue zones longevity diet. And the beauty was is this isn't you know the standard American diet according to the CDC kills about prematurely about 670,000 Americans every year. So, mm-hmm. you know, way more people than die in wars, by the way, are being are being killed by the way we eat. Here is another standard American diet as consumed by our neighbors or our or our ancestors uh, that if we ate this way, for sure, the rate of chronic disease would drop in this country, healthcare costs would drop, and we'd save many hundreds of thousands of lives. Well, and I think, as you said, we're spending $3 trillion plus trillion-plus on health care uh, to try and manage this. And, you know, if you were to put all that together, Dan, between Alzheimer's, obesity, um, diabetes, heart disease, stress, all of these factors that are in a world which has, you know, when you look at going from an agrarian kind of area where we were mainly farmers, you looked at the weight of the average American way back in the 20s when you would see them in the lines and you'd see videos of them, you know, it was tremendously less. And I was watching a video of yours where you commented about the rate of obesity increasing so much. Um, And you said that one gentleman, that this is not 100% our fault. It's not 100% the listener's fault out there that that's happening. We have uh, corporations and we have businesses which have proliferated, um, I'm just going to say, junk foods on the world um, and the speed in which we get it. Would you make a general comment about this, if you would, just in, in your context of all the studies that you've done and research you've done? Sure. So the, the problems really started happening in 1970. That's when we hockey sticked our, our sickness and our obesity. So since the 1970s, uh, the rate of obesity has about tripled from 15% to 43%. But actually, the over almost 75% of us are either obese or overweight. Uh, the number of middle-aged people with chronic diseases has doubled. The rate of diabetes has gone up by uh, a func- uh, factor of seven. The rate of of dementia among older people has gone up by a factor of five. So our, our health has really gone to hell. And also, you know, you, you mentioned three trillion. We're actually up to $4.2 trillion surreal, trillion with a T. And that represents almost four times growth in the, the percentage of GDP we're spending on health since the mm-hmm. 1970s. So what happened? People like to point to corporations as being bad or evil. But what really happened was in in, uh, the 1970s, there was a food shortage in this country. And Nixon turned to his secretary of agriculture, Earl Butts, and said, fix this problem. And about the same time, we were coming up with new strains of seeds. Uh, We had developed uh, fertilizers on what used to be, we used to use those same petrochemicals to make munitions. We figured out how to make fertilizers. But then the farm bill came along that incented farmers to grow four things, corn, wheat, Wheat. rice, and sugar beets, Mm -hmm. and soybeans, five things. And um, they got very cheap. So because farmers grew so much of it, and we got so good at growing, now all of a sudden the market is flooded with these very cheap inputs. And a couple things happened. First of all, corporations like General Mills and Kraft, they figure out how to make tasty, delicious snacks out of them. Mm-hmm. Uh, the, the Doritos and the, the, um, uh, the meat producers, the, you know, the people who own cows, they t- more or less took them out of the pastures and put them into feedlots where they could feed them really cheap corn and soybeans. And as a result, the, the quality of meat drops. It becomes more fatty, higher uh, omega-6 fatty acids as opposed to uh, omega-3. And our consumption of junk food, about 70% of all food in grocery stores now is highly processed or processed food with added sugar. So we can't get away from these. So when you say if people are unhealthy or overweight in this country, I don't believe it's their fault. I believe that we are all genetically hardwired to crave sugar, fat, salt, delicious food. And for most of our existence on, on, in, in over history, it's been hard to get those foods. And now you can't get away from them. 
So, um, you know, people are on a seafood diet. They eat the food they see and they eat the food they can afford. And, and that happens to be junk food today. And it's, you know, no one person's fault. Well, I think the more we eat of that food, obviously, chemically with inside our brains, we have, we then create these desires for these foods, more and more desire for them. And it's been proven scientifically, you know that. You know, and you mentioned in the introduction of the book that you were going to help the listeners uh, with an additional 10 years of good life. And I remember you talking about good life, you know, because people who live into their 90s, you said they only had about nine months of really period of time where it was challenging. I know my mother lived in hot morbidity. Yeah, right. Um, What are the factors that you've found in our diets and our connectivity to people in the community that are reducing the stress and increasing longevity. Because I think um, we kind of live in this world, you can choose it, but we kind of live in an always-on world. I think many of the places that you profile, like in Greece and the Greek island that you went to, um, is the lifestyle is completely different. So you got to talk about lifestyle as well. Um, I know Linda, which is really close to me, seven-day Adventist, obviously vegetarian food Um, we see more plant-based diets being uh, advocated now it's it's huge Um, where do you kind of sit on this and this cookbook obviously can easily give us 10 more years of our life right that's the that's the the goal (laughs) right so a lot to unpack there so the idea behind the original blue zones work was we knew that only about 20% of how long you live is dictated by your genes. The other 80% is something else. So at National Geographic, our approach to reverse engineering longevity was to work with demographers to identify places who've achieved the outcomes we want, which is live another 10 years or so, largely by avoiding the diseases that foreshorten our lives, like heart disease, diabetes, several types of cancer, and now we're learning dementia. These are mostly avoidable diseases, and these people are avoiding them. And they're not avoiding them because they have better discipline or better diets or a greater sense of individual responsibilities. They're avoiding them because they live in an environment where the healthy choice is the easy choice. And when you look at the common denominators, whether you're talking Okinawa, Japan, Sardinia, Italy, Nicoya, Costa Rica, Ikaria, Greece, or among the Seventh-day Adventists near you, Greg, um, they're not trying to live a long time, but they live in places where every time they go to work or a friend's house, it occasions a walk. They live in walkable communities. They have gardens out back. Um, they have sense of, they have vocabulary for purpose. They know why they wake up in the morning and they're not stressed out trying to figure out where they fit in society. Uh, when it comes to food, they eat mostly a whole food plant-based diet. And I believe that's the majority of the longevity recipe, but also they live in places where there's strong connections. They tend to belong to a faith-based community and they have circles of friends that help uh, maintain the, the right behaviors for long enough so they don't develop these chronic diseases. So really this is a interconnected cluster of behaviors Uh, that help people over the long run. That being said, the most important thing you can do to add years to your life is to learn how to eat a whole food plant-based diet like we've seen in in the Blue Zones. And, you know, their main secret they teach us is how to make these simple peasant foods taste delicious. And with that combination or matrix that you just discussed, Obviously, there must be a reduction in stress and a reduction in release of cortisol into the system. Um, so, you know, when you saw, talk about community support and spirituality and having a purpose and walking and having gardens and nature and all these other things, um, I'm not saying people don't have access to that. But where would you kind of tell people who are listening or kind of like, well, it, it, it seems like I don't know how I'm going to create that in my life, right? Um, because they're just not there. Maybe they're in the inner cities. Maybe they're having challenges with those kind of things. But I think there's a solution for all of that. 
So a, a few things that are under our daily control that we know lower cortisol and therefore stress or the stress hormone that drives so much inflammation disease, uh, getting over seven hours of sleep a night. We know that works. Uh, we know that when you all of us have the power to curate our immediate social network. So we know that health behaviors and stress are measurably contagious. So if we hang out with the people who sit around on a bar stool and bitch, that becomes contagious. If we hang out with people who are eating Doritos and drinking Coke, we tend to eat that way as opposed to proactively choosing friends whose idea of recreation is playing pickleball or walking or gardening, whose idea of eating is a vegetarian plant-based diet, who care about you on a bad day. That's in our power. We know that lowers uh, risk. But we also know that walking places is much less stress-inducing than driving places. Uh, those of us like you who live in Encinita and me who live in Miami, we know gardening lowers cortisol levels. Most of us can either dig a garden in our backyard or um, join a public garden. They seem like um, too simple or too trite. But when I've looked at these populations around the world, these are the things that they've done. There's very few things that you can do today. There's a big thought of an effort mm -hmm. to make yourself live another 10 years. It has to be the sum of a lot of small things. And I've tried to catalog them in my Blue Zones book and in the, you know, the Blue Zone American Kitchen. I endeavor to show how to set up your, your food life. So uh, your chances of living longer with less disease go up dramatically. Most definitely. You give all the 11 reasons in the back and we're going to get to those. And I think that that's great. And, and you're giving super good advice to people. I think one small step and little like BJ Fogg says, little tiny steps to change behavior. This is all around behavior modification to be able to get there, whatever it is that you have to do. So, you know, whether you're going to ride a bike to work, you're going to accept that, or you're going to walk, or you're going to take the dog out every morning and every evening, those little steps can make a big difference. And you state that can, people... Can, can, can I reframe that just a second? Sure. Um, I actually don't believe in behavior modification. If you look at the data on exercise programs, gym memberships, diets, even taking supplements and medication, the recidivism curve, it's you're very successful from three to seven months and people just fall off the cliff out of that. These strategies tend to work in the short term and they tend to fail for almost all the people all the time in the long run. What I advocate in Blue Zone is you think about how to change your immediate environment. So you mentioned dogs. So rather than taking a dog, well, yes, taking a dog to walk uh, on his walk, her walk is a good idea. But the first step is owning a dog in the first place. Mm -hmm. We know dog owners tend to have lower BMIs and lower cortisol levels. Um, we talk about your where you live. Um, one, there are zip codes in Kentucky where life expectancy is 20 years less than in places like Santa Barbara or Provo, Utah or Boulder, Colorado. If you really care about your health, uh, your, your best bet would be to move to a place where the surroundings are such that the un, the four or 500 unconscious decisions you are making in a day, the micro decisions are engineered better because of your surroundings. So uh, I, I agree. Don't yeah, I so. agree with that. No, no, it's I, I, I'd, I'd advocate that. On the flip side of the coin, you have so many corporations. Mayo Clinic is one. Uh, uh, Virgin, who have these applications that they give to people that work in corporations that are tempting to get them to change behaviors. Um, and it's a prolific market, I know, because I have helped people develop those. Um, and I would say you're right. You know, it's very tough to change that behavior. And your comment is correct. I think what they're looking for is, you know, the people that are non-compliant, you know, can you get them to understand that it's better to be a little more compliant if you understand what I'm saying? I'm sure you do. So, you know, we see these applications that are on our phone you know, meditation applications, uh, getting your steps in, uh, all the technology that's now being used to try and help make people healthier. 
what would be your overall comment? You're saying that behavior kind of dips after a certain period of time, but do you advocate the use of those devices? I I think they're they have the the, the right outcome in mind, right? But look at your phone and tell me one app that you had three years ago that you're still using right now. What people have to realize is that if it's not a long-term intervention, it's not going to impact your life expectancy. They're right-minded. The problem in America, if we took all the time, effort, and money we spent on apps and diets and gyms and exercise programs and used it uh, like the food companies do to lobby uh, uh, Congress to create a food environment that's that's healthier. We are dying in America, 670,000 people a year needlessly because of the food environment that engineers our unconscious choices. And we can't, it, you know, I, I've, I've been honored to work for the entire state of Iowa with the Blue Cross Blue Shield plan there called Wellmark. Mm-hmm. And we we tried in Iowa to sort of give them blue zones ideas and, and, you know, ask them to go out and make healthy choices, but 98 out of a hundred food choices in these rural towns with their McDonald's and Shopco and, and Godfather's pizza are bad. You, you, if the effort was focused on what really makes a difference as opposed to getting sidelined by these, you know, money-making and well-intentioned uh, other strategies, apps and diets and so forth, that that there's just no evidence, there's no long-term uh, uh, evidence to show they work. Short-term, yes. They're fantastic money-makers. Well, I would agree with you. The problem you're attempting to tackle is at a much larger level. So I think sometimes maybe they're trying to do it incrementally because to get that system, you know, you're, you're saying it's almost like, you know, people going in and trying to reform our political system. You know, you are tackling a big issue and kudos to you for doing that because it has to be done at a large level. Actuarially, insurance companies are trying to change statisticals and numbers, whether they're self-insured, fully insured, you know, all of that data. I have a background in that, so I understand it. But you state that people that live in the blue zones achieve extraordinary longevity because of mutually supporting factors. Um, that's a question I already had. Apologize for that. I know that our listeners have been exposed to and know about eating primary plant-based diet. Um, and it's all over the place, Ocean Robbins, all kinds of people out there that I've interviewed. What has the research proven about eating plant-based and what unrefutable proof now exists that eating plant-based is healthier for us? Well, people refute everything, especially if they like meat or, or, you know, it's very hard to convince a man uh, of something when his paycheck uh, uh, relies on him believing in other things. So you're always going to get people refuting it. But if you look, so for the Blue Zones Kitchen books uh, and the Blue Zone, I worked with uh, Walter Willett at Harvard and we did what's called a meta-analysis. So if you want to know what a centenarian ate to live to be a 100, you have to know what he's been eating when he was a kid and middle age and newly retired. And now you can't just ask them because they don't remember number one and number two diets change over time. So to get at that, our team uh, um, aggregated 155 dietary surveys done in all five blue zones over the last 85 years. And when you average it all out, 90 to 100% of their dietary intake came from whole plant-based sources. And these people are manifestly living longer with in many cases a fifth the rate of chronic disease. So that's number one. Number two, in America, the Adventist Health Study funded by the National Institutes on Health followed 103,000 Americans over 30 years and found that people who are eating either a vegan or a pescatarian diet. Pescatarian diet is basically vegan plus fish. A fish up to one time, one serving a yeah, day. Some fish, yeah. Yeah. They're living about eight years longer. And by the way, they weigh 20 pounds less after 20 years. So, you know, if you want a diet that dependably works, that you can just do it and turn your brain off, um, cut all meat, cheese, eggs, and, and, and um, um, processed food out of your diet. 
you know, automatically happen. At least it dairy, happened. Dairy. Well, I know veganism, you know, you're cutting out dairy and you're cutting out, you know, yogurts, that kind of stuff, which is dairy. But my point is, is yeah, I think fine it is. Uh, my wife and I are very close to vegan, just like you said. But I understand the challenges because to move from that kind of diet, um, you you still have these cravings, you know, you've still got to get get away from the sugars. Um, you know, your book profile, go ahead. Were you going to say no, something? I'm just, I'm yeah. just uh, re- reaffirming what you're saying. Yeah. You know, the book profiles so many great recipes. I mean, really good recipes, Native American, African American, and Asian and more. And you say that 84 to 88% of these diets are plant-based. Can you speak about some of those recipes and how people can adopt eating this way along with the ease of finding, we talked about this right at the beginning, of finding the ingredients to cook such recipes for a healthier diet? Because, you know, your diet book is, I mean, the pictures are gorgeous. It's beautiful. The, the layout, the design, it's really very well done. And we've gone through it uh, almost the whole thing. And we're looking at diets to, uh, or I should say recipes to adapt ourselves into that. Um, speak with us about a couple, one or two that yeah. you could say are really quick and healthy that the American person could like whip up and get moving on. <laughs> yeah. So there's Dave Smoke McCluskey. He's, he was a, a, a Mohawk, uh, Native American. Uh, he had, he called it Warriors of the Rainbow Cranberry Mosh. So this is nice. uh, a breakfast made with, uh, 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 basically oat or almond milk, some fresh cranberries, some grits, which you can get in any grocery store, uh, a little bit of maple syrup. Uh, you know, all those are Native American, um, uh, ingredients. Um, Alan Wong, uh, one of the best, uh, uh, fusion, uh, chefs of, uh, of uh, Asian descent, uh, showed us a four, four ingredient, Okinawan sweet potato, which you can get at Whole Foods with coconut ginger cream. The four ingredients are sweet potatoes, a can of coconut milk or cream, um, some ginger, and then four tablespoons of honey. And that and that was another simple one. A lot of these, the Gullah Geechee people were these amazing people, uh, of freed African slaves whose expertise was uh, making a type of rice um, uh, called Carolina Gold. But um, uh, B.J. Dennis cooked up the original the original gumbos actually come from West Africa. Gumbo means uh, okra. You can get that in most grocery stores. You can get it pre-cut. It's fantastic. But he did this amazing um, uh, gumbo with uh, onion, celery, carrots, and then uh, the 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 uh, gumbo, uh, some super hot peppers. To add umami, he used uh, sesame seeds. Uh, but you can get that with just a little teaspoon of miso. Anybody can can make that. And then a little bit of vinegar. So you have this combination of umami, uh, a little bit of uh, acid, and then the searing hotness from the, the peppers, and you just cry tears of joy. That's a one-pot meal, takes about 20 minutes to assemble, uh, and is consummate blue zone longevity food. Well, and you've got a lot of them in the book. And I just want to say to my listeners, definitely go get this book because there are recipes in here. Maybe not all of them, but the reality is many of these, I'd say 80% of them, um, are things that you can pick up, pick up pretty quickly, cook up quickly, and it will certainly um, uh, satisfy you and your palate will be totally satisfied as well. Dan, you and I want to give a call out uh, to Dan McLean as well, who took all David. these beautiful David. Sorry, David McLean said David. I said Dan. Uh, David McLean, who took this road trip with you and did a wonderful job with the pictures in the book. You guys went across the USA to meet folks, some in some of the country's most unrecognized, what you call plant forward communities, something that you just mentioned. Can you share a couple of the stories from the road trip? and the ways to incorporate these great recipes into our kitchens, because you guys were out there going all across the United States, interviewing people, pulling the data together. uh, And not many people get that experience. And, you know, here I am kind of in a bubble, right? I I speak for a lot of people. How many of us really get out to go down to the deep South or go all the way over to the East or 
go experience something in the Northwest or find these various areas where people are cooking different kinds of meals, yet we're not experiencing them. Yeah. So, you know, we started out with here's the here's the Blue Zone uh, dietary guidelines. And then I hired a producer to find 55 chefs from Maine to Miami to Minnesota to Hawaii. And then during the pandemic, we got in sprinter vans. We had to be very careful. And uh, we found these historian chefs. And by the way, most of the chefs aren't 100 percent. Uh, plant-based that we asked them to to prepare their plant forward because that lines up with the blue zone diet. But these, these are, these are chefs in many cases, just cooks who shared their best recipes. For example, one of the ones that sticks, sticks out is uh, near Plymouth rock. We, we met Paula Marco and Carolyn Wayne, Carolyn, Carolyn Wayne is a, 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 uh, member of the Wampanoag tribe of um, Native Americans. And that's the tribe that first hosted uh, uh, the pilgrims. And and Paula is a historian, kind of a modern day pilgrim. And they recreated a Thanksgiving dinner for us. And one of the things we discovered is there probably wasn't turkey at the first Thanksgiving. I mean, there wasn't pumpkin pie because there weren't, there wasn't flour, there wasn't eggs. What was probably at the very, very first Thanksgiving was succotash, which is a, uh, a, a stew made out of, uh, squash and, and, uh, corn and beans. Mm-hmm. Uh, what was, what very well might have been there are sort of, uh, tamale, um, uh, made, filled with maybe, hazelnuts and some maple syrup or some dried blueberries. So we tried to recreate a 1621 uh, dinner that was probably <laughs> right then. Uh, in Miami here, uh, we found that the hippest, most popular recipe was a place, a uh, uh, restaurant was a place called Love Life Cafe. Like the mayor eats there all the time, um, Republican mayor, and, and you get hippies and yoginis there. Uh, but, uh, Diego Tosini and his wife, Veronica, have, uh, taken their, uh, Latin influence and infused it into 100% whole food plant based, which have won a number of awards. Um, in Texas, in this sort of tumbleweed, uh, town in the middle of nowhere, we met this plant based, um, Cajun chef who whooped up an etouffee that was made out of marinated mushrooms that taste exactly like shrimp or little crawfish. Um, and really, we found the most amazing culinary fusion happening in Hawaiian, where you have not only the native Hawaiians with their taro and basically root-based vegetables, but also the Filipinos, the Japanese, uh, the Chinese, um, who've all come in and over the years morphed and evolved the, the, the food and chefs like Alan Wong, uh, you know, one of the most celebrated chefs in America, in my opinion, uh, making complete magic out of, again, very simple ingredients. Uh, just, you know, it's very easy to take a slab of meat, uh, and throw it in a frying pan and make it taste very, very good. It takes one extra step, um, to do that to tofu. Uh, yeah. But you can make tofu taste as good as a steak if you do it right. Uh, Rich Landau shows us how in the Blue Zone American Kitchen. I eat a lot of tofu, and I know there's so, so many different ways you try and cook it and use different spices with it to uh, give it more flavor. Um, you know, and a lot of these uh, uh, roots and vegetables and things that you've talked about, um, some of them are indigenous to various areas. So, you know, you kind of have to find foods, I think, that. If you're going to buy foods and stay organic and stay local that are kind of regional to your area as well. And I think there's a big movement in that direction and a lot of people doing that. So uh, you try and find those foods that I can incorporate into my diet that are within, you know, very short distance. Um, and, you know, if you would speak to the listeners about uh, your more than 60 Blue Zones Project Cities. Um I was surprised to see Laguna Beach on there, <laughs> believe it or not. Um, and what some of the results have been by adopting a healthier diet and lifestyle. And what can our listeners do to become involved in that? I mean, I, I've been sure. to the websites. Uh, I, I'm going to put all the websites up on the blog post. Uh, but it's truly fascinating. 
I had no idea that you're having the impact you're having. Congratulations for doing that. And thank you for doing that. Uh, you've, you've made a huge impact uh, in the thank world. You. Yeah. So I'm going to answer that question in two parts. First of all, you know, you talked about orga- organic and local ingredients and so forth. Um, I find that intimidates people, especially inner city. If they think they have to go out and buy organic and learn how to cook these complex things. No, the, you can get 95% there on a, on a, on a longevity diet by the cheapest ingredients, beans. You can buy a pound of them for $2.99, a brown rice. Uh, a can of tomatoes, some spices, a little bit of oil, and an Instapot or a pressure cooker, even just a pot on the stove. Um, in our cities, we like to show people simple, delicious things that they can make that for about 50 cents a serving. And there are, and so you have, you take any bean and any grain, you put them together, you get a whole protein, all the amino acids. You don't have to eat meat. You don't have to buy organic if you can't afford it. Um, so, uh, you know, non-organic vegetable is way better than an organic slab of meat, in my opinion. Um, so, okay. Agree. Project. So, you know, we're talking, and, you know, I think I might have been a little bit of a buzzkill earlier in, in the program when I said you, we need to shift the focus from apps to changing our environment. Well, for the past and, and at the federal level, you're absolutely right. It's it's a 20 year or at least a decade long journey if we actually really tried to do it. But guess what? Where government really happens is at the local level. You get an inspired mayor like Betsy Price of Fort Worth and a city council who actually cares about quality of life over just the business interests in their community. You can get a lot done. So our Blue Zone projects seek to change not people's minds, but to change their environments. And we do that. We bring in a full-time staff uh, for five years. And there's three teams on that staff. The first team works with city government to identify policies that favor healthy food over junk food, and we help them pass eight of them within the time we're there. Uh, Same with walkability and tobacco. The second team, they are there to certify restaurants, grocery stores, workplace, schools, and churches who change their policy and their environment to favor healthier foods, uh, walking naturally, and social connection. And then the third team they work with 15% of the population to change their their own homes and their own social networks. Again, we're trying to set up the environment so the unconscious choice, the micro choices we make throughout the day are imperceptibly better, but make a measurable difference over time. And we put our money where, where our mouth is. We're paid. We don't this isn't publicly funded. It's privately funded by usually the Blue Cross Blue Shield or the hospital systems. And we're paid when we lower the BMI of the city. So when you lower the BMI of the city, obesity goes down, heart disease goes down, diabetes go down, and healthcare costs goes down. And in Fort Worth, for example, after five years, we lowered the BMI by about 3%, which doesn't sound like a lot, but the rest of Texas that went up, And Fort Worth itself has calculated that we're saving them a quarter of a billion dollars a year in projected health care costs because we changed not, we didn't go and try to change a million people's minds. We changed their environment. And that's the big idea. It is huge. And it's wonderful you're working on it. And for our listeners, you'll be able to go to um, the various websites that Dan has that we'll put up there. Um, that you can get to the bluezones.com. Um, but if you just type in and we'll put all these links to these, Dan, because it is just amazing what you've done and the impact that you've had and how you've been able to create that by thinking at a higher level. Like you said, you didn't put a, a, a kill on me with the, with the buzz around apps. I totally agree with what you're doing. What I'm saying is many of these, uh, organizations attempt to do this in a, a proximal kind of thing. Okay, how do we change behavior to how we do this? I get that changing the environment has much stronger, longer, uh, sustainable impact. And I agree with you 100%. Um, in the book, The Blue Zones American Kitchen, at the back of the book, all the way, um, you list 11 Blue Zone guidelines. Okay. 
And yeah. if you could briefly review these guidelines for the listeners and the obvious benefits from adopting these guidelines, because the guidelines are perfect. I think, look, if all I ever did was publish your guidelines and send it out to these cities, I think that 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 would be um, that would be monumental change in itself if people started adapting them and adopting. Yes. So this comes directly from the meta-analysis I talked about um, earlier, the 155 dietary. So, so uh, first and foremost, you want to think about eating a whole food plant-based diet. You don't have to be perfect, uh, but in blue zones, they're eating meat only five times per month. Um, and, and, uh, but otherwise, if, if, uh, um, if it's a, a whole food, it's, it's going to be probably going to be good for you. You don't have to think about it for, um, uh, so go easy on fish. Blue zones people ate shockingly little fish. Um, and because the blue zones were inland, fish is, uh, increasingly more contaminated. Yeah. Uh, with mercury and, and PCBs, et cetera. And especially uh, the stuff that's farm raised that you can't yeah. really, you don't know what you're really getting a lot of times when you're buying fish. I stay, right? I, I stay away from fish. Yeah. Uh, reduced dairy in none of the blue zones do they eat any cow's dairy. There's no really good argument for, uh, you know, eating the or drinking the secretions of another species, uh, you know, the, 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 the fluid meant for their, for their baby. Uh, there's plenty of other really healthy foods and the, the huge movement towards plant-based milk is a very good one, very encouraging. Uh, same thing with eggs. People didn't eat much egg, mini eggs, about two or three a week on average in blue zones, but they were pasture raised eggs. I have the- a question for you, Dan, on that. A side note real quick, because I want you to get to these, but you know, you see all these, um, milk, let's call them substitutes, almond milk, unsweetened oat milk, uh, coconut milk. You know, all these places, Starbucks have adopted all using all of them, but the sugars in some of them are huge. Um, it seems to be that the almond milk unsweetened has the least amount of sugar. Uh, so if somebody's really going to adopt it, it probably ought to be that one. Would you, would you agree? Anything unsweetened? You, you bring up a, a very good point, but you have to realize that skim milk has lactose, which is a sugar. Metabolically, this is almost the exact same as sucrose or, or, you know, the other sugars that we, glucose actually, that, that we consume. So, um, when you put them right next to each other, you know, when, when you drink a, a, some milk, you're going to get some sugar with it. I, I like Willa's oat milk actually, which is just a single ingredient. Uh, it comes from oats and, yep. um, they don't add sugar. Uh, but I, I'm not familiar with the one you mentioned, but, uh, I would prefer it over milk any day of the week. Oh, okay. Yeah. That's all I drink is the unsweetened almond milk. So yeah, there, there you go. Um, uh, beans, uh, there, there's good research that shows that people eat about a cup of beans a day are living about four years longer than people who don't over time. So that's the pillar of every longevity diet in the world. If you can get a cup of beans into your diet, people say, well, it makes me gassy. Well, we have a hundred, a hundred trillion or so bacteria in our gut. If you train those bacteria or cultivate those bacteria, uh, uh, to handle a meat, cheese, and egg diet, you're going to get one type of bacteria blooming. On the other hand, if you start to feed it a fiber-rich, you know, bean-based diet, your 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 uh, microbiome shifts to accommodate those, you know, high-fiber diets, and you don't have the gastrointestinal. I don't have any of them. I start every day with a cup of beans in my minestrone. But getting a cup of beans, start with a couple of tablespoons at the beginning and move on from there. Sugar, I think, is the number one toxin in the American diet right now. It probably drives most of metabolical diseases. It, it's even worse than the meat, cheese, or eggs. So, uh, and it's, it's in so many products. So trying to get those out. The best nuts we've learned from the blue zones is a handful. I'm sorry. The best snack is nuts. It doesn't matter what kind you eat. It can even be peanuts, which are technically a legume, but a handful of peanuts a day or any kind of nut is associated with about uh, two extra years of life expectancy. We found something really interesting with sourdough bread. So metabolically, Sourdough bread is vastly different than a, just a, you know, plain yeast raised bread you find in the grocery store. Uh, but it has to be, uh, sourdough bread 
made by a real baker or at or at home. And it's super easy to make, by the way. I make it all the time. But uh, we find that sourdough bread, two studies have shown it lowers the glycemic load of your meal by about 25%. So your sugars or the, the your body handles the sugars in a much slower rate. The insulin release is lower, much easier on, on your organs. If you're a diabetic or pre-diabetic, it uh, makes a significant difference. And then, Can you uh, make a quick comment, Dan, on portion sizes? I mean, everybody comments about America. They come here and they're like, oh, my God, it's portion sizes. And you look at your Blue Zone people, and when you were – I remember watching your special. Uh, I think I think Bill Weir was doing something with yeah. you as well. Wonderlist. Um, the portion sizes were so much less. Um, we know that people know that here. Yet when they serve stuff up, they they tend to put so much in there. And I'm not certain if it, they're just not satiated or it's because they're eating wrong. Comment. Right. Well, if you're eating a, a, um, uh, a highly processed, fat-laden, um, you know, a supersized meal at McDonald's, um, it takes about 20 minutes for uh, the signal of your of, um, of fullness to travel from your belly to your brain. Um, so you, you you can go you can engulf a a um, you know happy meal in in five minutes, and you won't feel it for about 25 more minutes. I think mostly in blue zones, it wasn't so much portion size, it was caloric content. So in Okinawa, for example, you can have their, you know, they do a stir fry um, that they call a, a champuru. And this thing looks, it's delicious. It looks like a compost pile of, <laughs> of um, vegetables and, and marinated tofu and beautiful sauce. And you can just eat away for 45 minutes happily. And you consume fewer calories than you would if you ate a hamburger. And they're yeah. nutrient-dense calories. So if you're eating a whole food plant-based diet, you don't really have to think about your um, uh, portion sizes as much. As long as you're not pouring oil in there, uh, you're going to be full before you consume too many calories. And that's let's, the great beauty of it. Let's talk about the sugars in fruits for a minute. We may not get to all 11, and it's not so important because we're going to ask the bu- listeners to go buy the book. Um, but, you know, you see fruits. We got uh, loaded up on berries and raspberries and blueberries and bananas and apples and pineapple and all this kind of stuff. And, you know, it's at its essence, there's a lot of sugar in that. Uh, comment. I mean, I know it's, it's better for you and certainly you should be getting a daily input of the uh, intake of this comment from you. Yeah. How many people, Greg, do you know that overeat fruit? Very few, but I eat a lot of it and I always (laughs) wonder, am I eating too much? (laughs) No, first of all, fruit consumption in America has gone down slightly over time. So fruit is not the problem. Secondly, well, okay, I'm not a fan of juicing because when you separate the juice and which is where all the sugar is from the fiber, you break it up, you break these two components apart, you throw away the part that slows down the absorption. Sugar isn't the problem. The problem is when you blast sugar into your, uh, into your system and then your body has to react with insulin. But when you eat an apple, uh, that sugar is encased in fiber. By the time it gets to, into your gut and and then uh, uh, um, digested into your bloodstream, it's been slow enough for your body to slowly and healthily handle it. Uh, now, there are some fruits that are better than others. You know, grapes and bananas, they tend to be, you know, quicker uh, shots of, of, uh, of sugar, sugar yeah. uh, than, than eating berries. But you know, I, I've never heard of anybody who overeats raspberries or strawberries or, or blueberries. Not not overeat them, but you can eat a lot of them. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I wouldn't. I just wouldn't worry about it. It wouldn't okay. be a message I'd want to send to people. I, I tell people if you like fruit, chow down on fruit. Uh, you can eat a, a a pile, a compost pile of fruit, uh, and it'll be much better for you than a, a mini size of M and M's or or you know a Snickers bar. So yeah. and you'll get a lot of other other great. So, um, and then when you, I guess the last point here is, um, you know, what to drink and people in blue zones, you know, water is the best. If you're, water. Drinking, if you're drinking six glasses a day, um, big fan of that. I put a little carbonation in mine. 
Um, but also green teas seem to be fantastic. Seem to matchas, fuel. matcha yeah. teas, yeah, matchas or or light green tea. You don't want to over caffeinate. Coffee, we see it in all the blue zones, and uh, it's the number one source of antioxidants in the American diet, which is probably more commentary on the American diet than it is on coffee. Uh, as long as you're knocking off by noon or so and not over drinking. And then a little bit of wine. I know there's a lot of controversy around alcohol now, but I can tell you that people in most blue zones are enjoying a glass or two or three a day, usually mm-hmm. with food and making it into their hundreds. Well, I will say, Dan, this is, and hold it up again for my listeners, out December 6th, pre-order now. They're actually up at Amazon. Uh, there's a bit of a discount on it. So for my listeners, definitely go get a copy of the book. Um, you certainly have over the years, Dan, uh, Dan been able to uh, bring together some concepts and ideas and manifest them in a very large way, especially your Blue Zones project. And I'm most, I want to encourage some of my listeners that are leaders uh, to actually take hold here and look at what Dan is doing. I mean, I think one of the first people that I remember attempting the same thing, but you've done it in a what seems to be a much bigger way, was Jamie Oliver uh, with the schools, um, with the kids in the schools and the meals, trying to change that in L.A. I remember watching him do that. Um, but on behalf of all of my listeners and myself, I want to thank you for spending the time with me. It was a very engaging interview and very informative. Um, and I think this cookbook is going to be another resource that people can use to just get healthier and add 10 more good years to their life, as you say. And I think that's important is the, is the part that's good years, you know, where you feel healthy, that you want to do something. I know I'm 68 years old and every day I kind of wake up and I go like, uh, okay, what can I do now to make things better? And I know for all of my listeners, a lot of them are yoga practices, meditation, eating right, diets, nutrition, all this kind of stuff. Add this book to your uh, books that you want to get because this is going to make a difference. Any parting words, Dan? Yeah, well, you make a good point. It's ne- We learn from the Blue Zones. It's never too late to add good years to your life. And if people have any lingering questions, I'm very good at answering questions. I'm on Instagram, at Dan Butner. And uh, I also have a website, danbutner.com. And uh, Blue Zone American Kitchen, I like to think, looks as good on your coffee table as it does in your kitchen. It makes a great Christmas gift for anybody you in your family you'd like to see live longer. I would say most certainly, go get a case <laughs> and <laughs> give them away. <laughs> That's a good, well, actually, a good idea for me because I have lots of people I could give them to. Well, blessings to you. Namaste. Thanks for being on the show. I appreciate it so much. A big telephonic hug to all you and everybody. Thank you, by the way, for everybody who listened this whole time. Uh, I honor your time and I appreciate you spending it with us. Well, you're a good person to listen to because you're going to help us live longer and healthier. So thanks, Dan. Thank you for listening to this podcast on Inside Personal Growth. We appreciate your support. And for more information about new podcasts, please go to InsidePersonalGrowth.com or any of your favorite channels to listen to our podcast. Thanks again and have a wonderful day.